is Pastor Isaac, lead pastor at The Gathering. For any of you who won't be able to be with us uh, this Sunday, the 13th, I wanted to share with you the Sunday message. Um, I hope that you're encouraged wherever you are in this season. If you're unable to meet with us in person, I want you to know that the Lord loves you. Do not forget him. Do not set him aside. Do not abandon him. If you'll allow me two minutes to go into prayer, let's ask God to really just meet us where we are in this moment and that he would show us his face. Father God in heaven, I thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us to be able to to gather remotely, to be able to still hear your word, to hear the, the, the words of your heart, O oh Lord, and to be encouraged and realigned by them. Father, would you use me today to speak to the family through your word in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you've been around me for a while, you have probably at some point heard some of my story. I grew up in Hempstead, went to Hempstead for uh, lower school or what would be elementary school. And for seventh grade, my parents found a way to get me out to an affluent private school up in the North Shore. Um, the transition in that time was very, very difficult. Uh, I was going from a, a fairly poor neighborhood of mostly minorities, if not all minorities, and was now being educated in a system that was much, much uh, more different, uh, much different than where I knew um, to grow up, uh, that was Hempstead. And so spending my days with the, in this, this community of just affluent people with m so much money and their education was just a bit more advanced than mine was, the, the level of dedication with which the curriculums was put, were put together was very aggressive and so if again if you've known me for a while you know uh, that I just haven't been great at school I was never known for being um, a scholar or super scholastic or loving school and so uh, having always struggled with that I, uh, I went into this school with this very difficult curriculum and I mentioned to my parents that I really really just didn't want to be there anymore um, and I remember in seventh grade, just a few weeks in, I did tell them, I told my dad, uh, parked in front of Hempstead High School, that I no longer wanted to continue in this school and that I wanted him to get me out. Uh, thankfully, my father, knowing better, right, being a dad, he, he didn't let me quit. He left me in and let me go through the pain that I needed to, to go through to, to find my way through. I did ultimately struggle for the following six years of my life, but my father never let me quit. But um, but this is what many of us do, right? We find it easier to quit, to avoid doing the work. We do this in our faith. We do this to Jesus even. So if you have ever heard these words uh, from the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verse 36, Jesus speaks these very infamous words. He says, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. So these words in Aramaic mean, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what's happening here, right? Jesus has had absorbed all of my sin, all of your sin, the sins of the world to the point where God could no longer look upon him. He had absorbed all of the wrong in the world, past, present, and future sins of the world, absorbed all of it. And God, in his righteousness, was unable to look upon Jesus. He had to turn away. And so Jesus repeats these words that we had heard before in the book of Psalm 22, where King David says the same 
words in the first verse of Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if it, w- it was a moment where King David felt separated from God. And I don't know about you, but those words bring so much emotion to me. I feel so much when I hear those words. I, I, I hear a resemblance of even myself, perhaps when I've been in a bad place and I've been in a spiritual valley and I've felt God distant. But more importantly, when Jesus speaks these words, Eloi, Eloi, Lema Sabachthani, what he is saying is that in that moment he has felt that God has placed his eyes away from him. He feels abandonment from the Father. Obviously, when it comes to Jesus and the ultimate sacrifice that he made for man, it was necessary for him to go through this. It was part of the will of the Father. And so, I can only imagine as a father that when God looked upon his son, bearing all of that pain, crucified on a tree, for people that he wouldn't yet personally in the physical, in the flesh, know, but in the spiritual, in his in His kingship, in his, in his royal being and his godliness he had already known and made a decision to die for them jesus felt this same abandoned in that moment he saw his beloved turn away from him his father because that was the extent of his love for you and for me but how ungrateful we can be at times when we forget the sacrifices that jesus has done for us and so we see that oftentimes, even in our own lives, this, and this is, this is a story beyond time. Where from the time that Jesus gave his life on that cross for you and for me, we've made decisions to abandon him so often. And we see that happen here in the book of John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 60 to 69 say, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, That is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense to this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe in who it was who would betray him. And if I were you, I would underline that. Jesus knows those who will abandon him. Just because of the things that we say with our mouths and the way we might act towards him sometimes, seemingly grateful, seemingly accepting, remember that Jesus is able to read our hearts. Verse 65 says, and he said, that is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Again, verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, remember his best friends, the the apostles, the 12 that we're talking about here aren't the the 12 that Jesus himself chose. These are the other people that have joined the ranks after Jesus has gone through Jerusalem. So Jesus asks his best friends, Jesus asks the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Praise God for the fact that the disciples and the and who would then be called to being apostles were convinced that Jesus was the Holy One of God. But let, let's review what's happened here. Jesus has just traveled through all of Jerusalem doing wonder after wonder, miracle after miracle. And in chapter 4, we see that he makes a disciple out of a half-breed Samaritan woman and healed an official son from a distance, right? Because the son hadn't been brought with the official. He was at a distance and Jesus still healed him. In chapter 5, Jesus heals people at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. He breaks these rules of religion for the sake of being able to get to those who needed him most. And when people saw this and when people felt the emotions and the feelings, they decided to follow him. In the beginning of chapter 6, we see that Jesus feeds more than 5,000 people with just five pieces of bread, five loaves of bread, and two single fish. Then he proceeds to walk on water. This is all happening in that very same chapter. So Jesus did everything that he could by way of these miracles and these wonders to convince these Jews to follow him. But he also knew that the convincing part also took place only in their eyes not in their hearts. They had not been convinced where it mattered most in their hearts. Once Jesus begins to tell this new crowd of, of Jews who, who knew tradition and who knew religion that he was the Messiah and that he was the one that they had been waiting for by way of their religion, at that point is when the crowd started murmuring and getting fussy. When he said that he was the bread of life, which we can see in the verses 22 to 58. He is telling them that that satisfaction in your body, in your minds and in your souls and in your spirits that you have been searching for, I am the answer to that query. But remember, these were people who knew tradition, who knew religion, who were Jews, who had their way of living that they already knew. And so this was unacceptable to them. They wanted his show, but they didn't want his transformation. He was messing with the things they knew to trust, but not him. And that, for us, can be our customs, our traditions, people around us, the relationships that we're in, whether healthy or broken. Your decision to follow Jesus should never be defined and anchored by the things that he is able to do for you today or even tomorrow. Instead, our faith requires us to be rooted and driven by what he has already done which is to submit his life sacrificially on that cross for you and for me undeservingly. Jesus knew that they were grumbling though, right? And we just read that. Of course, Jesus knew that they would agree, disagree with the things that he was saying, like truly, truly, right? This is verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread of heaven, but my father gives you the, bread, the true bread from heaven. And he's talking about himself, where in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. But now, if we think about this from the human perspective, we ask the question, but how is this possible? Are you telling us that we are to eat your flesh and to drink your blood? That doesn't make sense. Of course, this was figurative speech that Jesus was using. He was inviting us to consume all of him, to receive him into our bodies and into our hearts and make space for him inside of us. Jesus' message wasn't hard to understand. They just found it hard to accept. 
And we see here a very valuable lesson that we are not to measure the power of God by our own limitations. Jesus' message, even to this day, his message isn't hard to understand. We're just hard of hearing because we don't want to accept it. The presence of Jesus calls us to realigning. The presence of Jesus and his spirit calls us to be reconciled, calls us to be convicted, to feel perhaps like we've done wrong and to be driven towards making massive changes in our life, which sometimes include even getting rid of people, getting rid of habits, not doing the things that maybe our bodies are driving us to do because we find comfort and pleasure in them. We struggle to mentally fathom a Christ who can not only give eternal life, but can also give death. We like to talk about the Jesus that can give us this and give us that and provide for us this. And did you see what he did for this person? Did you see what he did uh, for that other person? But then that makes us like these other disciples, these people who called themselves followers of Jesus, but were really there to be entertained and not to be transformed. It's hard for us to, to, to gather a Christ with so much power. A Christ with so much authority. A Christ who says that I am the answer to everything you've ever struggled with. I am the satisfaction to everything that you have ever been without. We can't fathom that there is a solution and that there is a filling to the void that we've known to have and to be part of our own comfort. Not understanding that this becomes an excuse because giving up is much, much easier. Saying we don't understand is an excuse. Giving up and walking away is much easier. Giving up is for the cowardly to stay, to believe that Jesus is the bread of life. That Jesus is the only singular way to get to the Father requires immense courage. Jesus is and has always been about pushing the limits of impossibility. Him being the bread of life is no different. He understands that this might be hard for you to fathom, but remember that we are called to faith. We are called to believe that he is who he says that he is, and that's where many of us get stuck. When we don't start seeing that, that thing that people promised us via even social media preaching and YouTube and all these you know motivational speakers who call themselves spiritual leaders. We come to Christ accepting or expecting, excuse me, expecting things from him without ever recognizing what he has already done for us. And I'm not saying, friends, listen to me. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be expecting for God to do something great in your life. But it shouldn't take precedence to the fact that he has already done so much for you and I. God is able to do so many miraculous and impossible things in your life. And you should believe it and you should have faith. But we can't do that without first accepting the things that he has done. And more importantly, who he says he is. Believe him when he says that he is the bread of life. And all those things that you've been consuming, hoping to fill these voids that you have in your own person will never be satisfied in the way that they can be satisfied when we receive Christ as Lord because He is that satisfying bread of heaven.
So what was the result of all of this murmuring and and and, and arguing and them questioning themselves and questioning Jesus at this moment? Those who said to be disciples and followers of Jesus were put to the test, right? They said, okay, so I've seen that you've now called yourself my disciple. You're now following me because you see me doing these works and these wonders. But I need you to believe with your hearts. They knew to believe with their mouths and even, even some of them with their actions by, by walking and following Jesus in the physical. But they weren't following Jesus in their hearts where it truly matters, where change happens. In verse 63 and 64, Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And let me advise you to take that with you today. If you're feeling empty or like what we were sharing last week, if you're feeling like you're in a dry bones season, it's the spirit who breathes life into us. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, says Jesus. Again, verse 63 and 64. The result of Jesus testing their hearts and declaring who he was resulted in most of these disciples turning away from him, walking away from him, and abandoning him. They turned away from Jesus, the only source of life, the only, only and singular way to the Father. And I really need you to believe that today. I need you to understand that there is nothing that anybody has ever told you besides Jesus to get you to gain access to the Father that won't require Jesus. There is no other way. No other way. And remember what he says again in the book of Matthew. Many will say my name, Lord, Lord, but they don't know him. He asks this question to the disciples. Do you want to go away as well? And I ask you that question now. Do you want to go away as well? Many people have come and raised their hands and said, I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we can get them back into this building, back into these meetings at all. Afterwards, we got lip service, if you will. Lives were not transformed. Many were. Some haven't. Are you perhaps at the point where you're ready to turn away? Have you been absent for a while? And I'm not even talking absent in the physical. I'm talking about absent in the spirit. Have you been tempted to go back to your former life? Have your friends and those close to you and family members, have they done a better job of convincing you that your former life was better than the things that you experience and that you felt by way of the spirit and his conviction and continuing to follow Jesus because if, if if abandonment for Jesus is expected or was expected and and is expected it should be expected for us as well if they hated him they'll hate us too so if you're feeling abandonment from other people and now you're feeling a bit discouraged about the fact that you made a decision to follow a Christ who would put you in a place of desertion by other people and being abandoned by other people, being abandoned by your friends, by the people that you like, by, by love interests, by, by jobs, by people who like to hang out with you but would never be there for you. And somehow you miss them now. If Jesus 
has discouraged you because of his presence, which spiritually makes uh, it makes so little sense to me. Maybe you're in a place where you are ready to walk away as well, or you have walked away already. Are you tempted to abandon Jesus today? And Jesus asked these questions to his 12 best friends and 12 disciples. He says, do you want to go away as well? That should really do something to your heart today. As you hear me say these words to you. And asking yourself, if you're not fully devoted and passionate for Jesus Christ, does that mean that we are making this passive decision to abandon him? And we see it so often in the church. We're so caught up in the church system and the Sunday in the Sunday only um, systems that we've adopted as a relationship with Christ, and we go through all of the motions. But the truth is that we're so dead inside. We're surrounded by people, but we're empty. There is no satisfaction to our lives because the truth is that the only satisfaction that that works and that truly fills is the satisfaction of receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in our hearts and allowing Him to abide in us and us in Him. That's where change comes. And change sometimes comes and, 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 and filling sometimes comes when you're in a place all by yourself with Him alone in deep communion and in deep relationship and communication with Him. And there's two, there's two things that stand out to me while Jesus is asking these, this question to his best friends. And the first thing is that Jesus asks this to the 12 disciples, including Judas. <laughs> he asks this question to the 12 disciples, including Judas. And remember what we read before. Jesus already knew who in their hearts would not believe in him. And that was in verse 64. He says, For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. He knew Judas would give him up to the enemy, to Rome, to be hanged. But Judas was among those 12. Judas was among those 12 that Jesus chose. And the second thing is that the one who replied of the 12 was Peter. Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? And that's in verse 67. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That stands out to me because Peter is the same person who, when Jesus is taken by the Roman soldiers, is the one who denies Jesus three times. And Jesus, remember, Jesus had told him as he goes that three times Peter would deny him before the rooster crowed. And that's exactly what happened. Three times Peter denied him. Even the greats get it wrong sometimes. Even the strongest sometimes break. Jesus is no stranger to abandonment, though. This is not something that surprises him. He knew abandon all too well. He knows our hearts. (laughs) Again, we might give him the lip service, but he he knows the true passion that we carry in, in our hearts for him. Or the lack thereof. We all have gods. We all have things that we worship. It's a choice to worship Jesus, a privilege and an honor to say, I choose 
to follow you with my spirit and with my life and surrender all that I have and everything that I am to follow you. But if you think about it, there's if you haven't made a decision to do that with Jesus, and I'm not saying about just simply raising your hand and saying yes, I'm talking about a life that shows proof that Jesus is active in your heart. That you take him to places that are worthy of him. That you worship him in ways that are worthy of him. That you speak in ways that are worthy of him. That you have relationships with other people that are worthy of him abiding in you. That if these, this isn't a decision that you've made, you still make those very similar decisions to another God. Whatever that God might be. It might be work. It might be family. It might be your children. It might be bad relationships. It might just be relationships that seemingly are healthy to you, but you've put that man or that woman before God. It might be sexuality where your God has now been your sexual desire. And that is who you submit to before you ever even think about submitting first to God and allowing him his time in your day and in your life. He's no stranger to abandonment. Matthew chapter 13 53 to 58 says, And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? This is telling us here, right? This is telling us that he, that the people who were listening to him in the synagogue are people that have known him his entire life. They know Jesus. They know his family. Some of these are his family members. Is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him, verse 57 says, and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief and familiarity for these people led them to a place where they could not believe that when Jesus opened his mouth and said, I am the bread of life, that he was the Messiah that had come to bring salvation. The familiarity didn't allow them. The fact that they knew Jesus growing up, perhaps as a knucklehead kid, didn't allow them to believe. And so Jesus was unable to do mighty works in those areas because it simply wasn't worth it. And that's the same thing for us today. People in your life have known you for so long in the seasons where you made mistakes, in the seasons where you made decisions that would maybe haunt you or be consequential to you for the remainder of your life. And when you gave your life to Jesus, they were the naysayers. And instead of you doing what Jesus said and moving on or what Jesus did in moving on and leaving to places where people did believe them, the words that he was saying, you stay back. And you allow them to convince you, but never forget this. It's much easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull them up. So as you're going up this building and maturing in Christ in this edifice of spirituality and relationship with Jesus, those people who, who are the temptation that you feel to abandon Jesus still have an ability to pull you down while seemingly thinking that you're able to pull them up. We've got to know how to call those places out, those people out in our lives that, that are temptations for us to be pulled down 
while we try to convince ourselves that we're trying to pull them up. Who's that in your life? Is that someone in your life? Is that something in your life? Jesus knew that the closest to you are the ones who are able to hurt you the most simply because of the familiarity and the human nature. But he never abandoned the Father. He never abandoned God while in his flesh. He believed and trusted that God would be faithful even while he was hanging on that cross and saying those words. Eloi, Eloi. Lema sabachthani. Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. I don't know about you guys, but there's certainly been days where I have felt like the Lord has removed his eyesight from me, where I feel him so distant. So distant. And so much of that perhaps has been because I've abandoned him for a moment. And the beauty here is that though we abandoned him, maybe not just one time. We don't know if some of these disciples ended up coming back. My hope is that as the ministry grew and as Jesus was then ascended into heaven and so many people saw the miracle of the fact that Jesus was no longer found in the tomb, my hope is that some of these disciples that turned away came back to the faith and truly accepted and believed in their hearts. We don't know that. We continue not knowing that. We could have a... We could have a hundred people here at the park with us, or we could have a hundred people at church with us on us on a Sunday service, and that doesn't mean that they are truly there with us. That doesn't mean that they are fully convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But what I do know is that for every time that we make a true repentance and we ask for true forgiveness in our hearts, that every time Jesus will be available to receive us back. That though we abandon Jesus day after day. Day after day, Jesus is ready to take us back. If we'll simply set our ego aside and say, I'm wrong, I've done you wrong, I've separated myself from you, right? Because he says that he will never leave us or forsake us. But we are able to do that. <laughs> we are able to remove ourselves from God's presence. And yet when we're convicted and we turn back and we say, I've done wrong, I'm ready to come back home. He's ready with open arms like the prodigal son to, to receive us and allow us back into his presence. And I'm so grateful for that. If you'll allow me to pray for you, I hope this message has done something for your heart today. I pray that if you're in a season of perhaps considering abandoning Jesus, that you won't do that. And the reason the message today is called Deadly Abandon is because if we abandon Jesus, we have no hope and no expectation of getting to God the Father because no one goes to the Father except through Jesus. Let's not tempt it. Let's not tempt the let's not test the fact of whether or not Jesus is actually the only way to the Father. We believe it. We are sure of it. And so let's never step away from that. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us to experience your presence once again. We love you, O Lord. We desire, Father, for you to give us the courage and the wisdom to stay close to you, to never abandon you, to never let you go, to continue loving you, to not be distracted and tempted by the things of this world that exist to simply drive us away from you, O Father. Lead us, O Lord. Direct us, Father. Carry us. Keep away the enemy at all times, Lord. 
and allow us to be able to fully believe and be convinced of the fact that Jesus is the only way to you, the Father, the giver and the taker of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be blessed today. I hope this word has done something to your heart. We love you. We can't wait to see you again in person. God bless.